can't remember what the book after it's called, but it's about his son, Rillian. This is Stefan, and you are listening to Season 2 of Softly Spoken, an introvert's guide to thinking out loud about identity, meaning, and the stories that shape us. In the previous episode, Athena shared her thoughts on C.S. Lewis's book, Prince Caspian, and how it helped her to better understand herself as a person with a disability and as an artist. Continuing in this vein, we focus on another book in C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, This time, I talk about The Silver Chair, and how it captured a sense of alienation I was experiencing as I was entering my teens. But first, here's an excerpt from The Silver Chair. How long then have I been in the power of the witch? It is more than ten years since your highness was lost in the woods at the north side of Narnia. Ten years, said the prince, drawing his hand across his face as if to rub away the past. Yes, I believe you. For now that I am myself... I can remember that enchanted life, though while I was enchanted, I could not remember my true self. The Narnia series captured my attention for a lot of the same reasons that it captured yours. You know, obviously I wasn't living with a physical disability, but it did give me a way to, I think, escape some pretty dark days for myself. You know, when I was going through pretty severe depression in my teens, it was just such a beautiful place to escape to and it became a comfort something that I could rely on and something that provided me some stability even when my life outside of it felt pretty unstable. Do you remember when you were first introduced to the book? Yeah I was trying to remember that you know and I think I think it was a gift that was sent to me by one of my sisters but I also should add that a lot of my Teen and child childhood years, they're fairly fragmented, so I have a hard time kind of putting the timeline together. Yeah, so I don't exactly remember how old even I was when I when I got those books, probably around the same age as, as you, or maybe a little bit older. I feel like you really identified with Prince Rillian and with that dual existence and that dual reality for him. What do you think drew you to that character the most? Well, I think I was also navigating a dual existence. Rillian is trapped by this witchy character. He's tied to a silver chair and basically needs to be rescued. But the interesting thing is, is that when he's tied to the chair, that's when he's sane But otherwise, when he's not tied to the chair, he basically serves the witch character and doesn't remember when he's sane. So there's an element of this kind of split reality within the the magical world. A lot of my identity is dual. I was somebody that grew up in two different cultures, both Canadian culture and South African culture. You know, in my teen years, was realizing that my sexuality was not just straight, that I was definitely bisexual, you know, that dual identity. My gender was something I was wrestling with, even though I didn't really have language to articulate it. So there was a lot of sort of dual identities that I was trying to integrate, which was what drew me to that character was that 
he was sort of disconnected from himself. He didn't know which reality was real and which reality was not real, um, which really kind of struck me as <laughs> something I could relate to. I feel like there's also that sense of being in prison. So when William was at his most sane, it was when he was tied to the chair. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when he was out roaming and being out in the world, he was under a spell. And when he was tied to the chair, the silver chair, it's kind of like the Matrix. <laughs> um, you know, he, the reality was a lot uglier than the fantasy world. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that sense of feeling trapped, because I certainly felt trapped in a similar way in my reality. I didn't feel like I had any place that I belonged or that felt like home at the time, also wrestling with wanting to die at times. So, so yeah, there was a lot of parallels that the sane world was pretty scary. And it's interesting that it takes another group of characters coming in to help really get out of that place. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he doesn't get out of it on his own. And that's certainly true for me as well. I think there were people in my life throughout my life that, you know, saw something in me or just was there and, and willing to be by my side, even when I didn't really understand why. Like, I wouldn't have been able, I don't think, survive if it hadn't been for those other people, which is kind of the same with Rillian. He could have continued on to be in that spell if if Reaper Cheap and some of the other characters hadn't shown up to, to cut him loose from that chair. Right. I seem to remember there was a character that was like a swamp thing. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, I forget his name. I should look that up. Yeah, there was some Puddle Glum. That was yes! Puddle Glum. Great character. Oh, such, such a good an name. Eeyore character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are lots of really cool characters. And I have a vague recollection that he wakes really in by like sticking his foot in the fire and making it like a burned Puddle Glum smell is like the, the worst possible <laughs> smell. <laughs> I could be wrong, though. It's been a very long time since I've yeah, read that Yeah, it's been book. a long time for me, too. But I do <laughs> remember, yeah, something like that. <laughs> and I'm also remembering that the story takes place sort of deep under the ground. And they have to go deep into the earth in order to find the place where Brilliant's being held. It's not, some, it's not like a place on the surface that they have to to go looking for it. Yeah, you know, when you just mentioned that, it reminds me of another story that I also resonated with as a teenager called Child of Darkness. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of themes of stories that resonated with me at that period in my life. They were all stories of, like, characters that were stuck in the dark trying to get out. And that was, again, you know, if you think of story as a technology that we are drawn to because we are trying to figure something out in our lives. That was a theme that I was wrestling with, and I was drawn to stories that I thought might help me. I mean, I wasn't conscious that that was what I was doing, but looking back, I think there is something to that, that I was trying to understand, you know, how do I get out of the darkness first, and how do I keep myself safe? The story I'm thinking of, the Child of Darkness story, like it's this this character that basically grew up in a cave, and when this character emerges from the cave, People basically don't know what to make of him and persecute him for his difference. You know, he's pale-skinned and he's kind of weird-looking and kind of like an alien, right? So that theme of, of difference and also that theme of the world being a 
very dangerous, scary place mm-hmm. um, was something that I was obviously wrestling with and trying to come to terms with. In that time, were you creating work yourself, like using your creativity to workshop some of these themes as well? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I've always had a very creative bent, but I've never really been very good at creating stories that I can share with someone, right? Like, it was it was more of a world that I kept to myself. So I would have, like, make-believe games where I would create whole towns. Like, I, I guess I was also a bit of a world builder. Like, I remember I would, when I was still living in Prince George... Um, so this was, I was younger than 11 for sure. You know, I would take my bicycle to the school parking lot. So I had a whole, like the whole parking lot was basically a city that I had created. And I would like ride my bike from one house to the next and have them talk to each other and, and like um, interact with each other. But I remember I kind of bummed myself out because <laughs> because my stories would, would always end with like some disaster or crisis or um, <laughs> sort of horrible event. And then I didn't know how to end my story. <laughs> and then I would just kind of give up for a while. And then, you know, I would eventually I would start it all up again. But it's interesting, because that was kind of what I was trying to figure out again, right? Like I was trying to figure out how do I get beyond the crisis of mm. my story? Yeah, I can actually picture you sort of doing like something like, and then everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that, that, was the, that was usually the, <laughs> the step. Yeah. Well, I'm actually remembering for myself when I was working on my own novel, my romantic leads would never really get past sort of a first kiss because I didn't know what was beyond that. And so there was no and real... And you also couldn't imagine that. Exactly. I couldn't imagine what the story was going to be for my romantic leads. And so I always had these stories of massive unrequited love that never went anywhere. our imagination can only take us so far yeah i think it's it's those things that are in some ways the most important to us that we we get stuck we get blocked on that road and it's like i I don't know how to resolve this story because it matters too much to me exactly i know you gravitated towards king arthur Mm. and the king arthur stories what do you think was because that's very different from the silk chair. Well, I mean, again, it's a magical world. The King Arthur myths, I had the book Le Mort d'Arthur, and I would read that religiously. It appealed to my sense of wanting to be a good person. You know, I was very much a rule follower. I was a reluctant black sheep in the family. <laughs> I didn't quite know why I didn't fit in because all I really wanted to do was fit in. And I think I was really drawn to the King Arthur myths because there's like a character, Sir Galahad, who is really kind of a Jesus figure, you know, finds the Holy Grail and all of that. And there is a nobility to those knights and they're they're very upstanding citizens and they're like saving people from horrible things along the way and there's also that element of romance and passion as well with Sir Lancelot and Queen Guinevere and Tristram and Isolde there's that sense of it being a world unto itself and this all of this drama and soap opera like <laughs> <laughs> intrigue uh, between King Arthur and the, and 
Sir Lancelot, for example. And yeah, it was just a world of characters where they were imperfect. Many of the knights were imperfect and, you know, were going in search of the Holy Grail, but never finding it um, because they weren't pure enough. But also there was a sense of adventure and a sense of, you know, being able to face the darkness and overcome it. Um, so I think that appealed to me. The part of me that was wrestling with my gender would also kind of come out when I was reading those books because, you know, I knew I was supposed to be a girl and, you know, I'd read about Queen Guinevere or Isolde or some damsel in distress. And I knew that I was supposed to identify with that character because she's the girl character. But I never, I never liked the girl characters. They were all stupid. (laughs) Um, And so I remember I would like create my own sort of fantasy world of knights and noblemen and i kind of created like a third gender in my version where it was these you know they were female characters but they were masculine they would fight male knights and they would go on adventures and all of that but again like i was trying to use this world to create a place for myself to exist that's really interesting I feel like we've covered an incredible amount of ground today in this interview. What do you think? I think that's you saying that you're tired and you want to stop. Come on, I was trying to wrap it up very nicely. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Softly Spoken. This episode was produced by the Tilted Windmills Healing Center. It was edited by Stefan de Villiers. Artwork by Athena Cooper. Music by Stefan de Villiers, courtesy of GarageBand Loops. Moral support from Lucy and Lola, our pups in residence. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to be notified of new episodes. If you would like to support us, please rate, review, or share your favorite episode. And remember to check out the episode notes for links, resources, and further information, including how to contact us. Thanks again. Until next time.